This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Batman Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 266. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Steph. This is Ian. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of January 20th through February 2nd. We have a total of two books, as always, to cover, just a little bit of news and a couple of comments. So let's get straight into the news. First up, solicitations have released for april of 2019 and to be quite honest there's there's really no surprises um there's nothing nothing out of the ordinary as i have said every time we've talked about solicitations for the last like three months uh the months are extremely it seems like there are less and less books and obviously a lot of it has to do with the fact there's only batman and detective are still double shipping there used to be many more books um, but there's no miniseries. Batman and the Outsiders still isn't coming. Uh, we don't have Three Jokers or the new White Knight. So there's a lot of stuff that is out there that presumably will be coming shortly, but is not here yet. Um, that's not to say that there isn't books. There are obviously things that are coming. Um, specifically, um, right after Detective Comics number 1000, we have 1001, 1002. We have the art team of Doug Mankey and Jamie Mendoza being replaced by Brian Walker and Andrew Hennessy. Over in Batman, the last issues of the Nightmares arc is releasing, uh, which will include a story from Amanda Connor as the artist for a Catwoman-focused story in number 68, and Yannick Paquette in the final one, this one taking place in Arkham Asylum. Uh, over in the group titles, Teen Titans and the Deathstroke will continue their Terminus Agenda crossover, uh, which, as we know from before, starts in March. Justice League promises to shake up the DC Universe again. With an issue written by James Tynion IV and illustrated by Francis Manipole. A change Does it count usual... as shaking up as if every issue shakes it up? Yeah, well, that's, I guess, the intent. Um, and even though we don't cover Titans anymore, I just want to point out that Titans has been canceled. So, <gasps> not surprised. Although, there is, a, there is an upcoming thing I should point out, which is that in Young Justice number 5, Brian Bendis posted on his Instagram that Stephanie Brown's going to be in the Tim Drake section of that. So I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. So over in Batgirl number 34, uh, Barbara will be heading back to Burnside after a falling out with her father. 
Semi Bastri will t- be taking over art duties in the place of Paul P- Pelletier for that issue. We don't know if that's ongoing or just to fill in a Nightwing. Uh, as the Rick storyline continues, Dan Abnett will be replacing Scott Lobdell as the writer. That's not right. Dan Jurgens will be replacing Scott Lobdell as the writer um, with Christopher Mooneyham returning to art after not being with the series for just a little while. So... If you are interested in any of the, well, the full list of the solicitations, be sure to head over to the site and check that out. We also have a gallery of some of the covers that, in my opinion, were worth noting, so you can check those out. Um, But honestly, there's not a lot going on here. The one thing that I thought was slightly interesting is the fact that Dan Juergens is going to be on Nightwing. Scott Lovedell is tends to be a writer and and I speak only to what I know and then I don't know what happens at other publishers but Scott Lovedell has been working on DC books consistently since the New 52 as far as I know and I, and, and maybe even further back but maybe on some other title that we don't hear at TVU cover but he's been on DC books for a very long time he's still on Red Hood and the Outlaw or Red Hood Outlaw, now it is as it's, as it's called. But Dan Jurgens is also one of those guys who has been on DC Books as far back as the early 90s. That guy's been around forever. So it's interesting that DC swapped out one writer who's been consistently working with DC for a while with another writer who's been working consistently with DC. I don't know what else Jurgens is right, working on outside of Batman Beyond right now, I don't honestly know that he is because I know that he was working on, wasn't it Action Comics before Bendis took over? Yeah, so he's he's clearly got, I guess, some some open space on the schedule to work on some other stuff. But I'm not necessarily sure that he's the best option for Nightwing. Now, the issue is that Nightwing is kind of a cluster mess right now anyway <laughs> with everything that's going on. Not that it's not enjoyable reading by itself, but it's definitely not. If you're looking for a Dick Grayson story, you can't pick up Nightwing and, and expect a Dick Grayson story. I'm enjoying what we are getting because it is an interesting story, but as a Nightwing slash Dick Grayson focused story, it's it's not that at all. So Jurgens coming in is kind of questioning to me because as you if, if anybody's been paying attention to Batman Beyond since Rebirth, Jurgens has been on that. The title has been okay. It's not that it's bad. Sometimes it feels like he's doing things that fans would want, but then other times he's doing things because you think because at least in my opinion, it comes across as this is something that would potentially sell well, like bringing the Joker back as the story is currently doing. Uh, Something that the fans could potentially want is Terry to have a Robin. And what do you know? Matt McGinnis became his Robin. So it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like he is one of those uh, writers, at least from what I've read, and I cannot speak to any of the Superman stuff because that's not stuff that I'm super familiar with. But what I'm familiar with, it seems like he goes back and forth between trying to tell something that maybe his original, something that he wants to do, or maybe something he thinks is going to do really well, and then going back and forth between that and things that maybe the fans are asking for or asking to happen. Now, who's to say that you know he doesn't come on and there's an immediate turnaround for Nightwing and then somehow Nightwing, you know, that wonderful worm 
and I say worm because that's the name of the character, that worm plot hole, not wormhole, um, is out there that immediately just randomly comes back and says, hey, this is how we get Dick his memories back because that's been floating out there for quite some time. Who's to say that's not going to happen? I can tell you from the solicitation it's not going to happen immediately when he comes on board, but who's to say it doesn't happen within the first couple months that he's on the book? We'll have to wait and see. But I guess ultimately, as far as like excitement, there's no excitement level here for Dan Jurgens to come on Nightwing. And DC doesn't seem that thrilled to even promote that Dan Jurgens is coming on the book because they didn't even bother mentioning it outside of just the listed solicitations. So who's to say he's not actually on the book just for a couple of issues because Lobdell had to step away or something? Who knows? We'll see. Well, this is clearly um, damage control, in my opinion. Because they originally put a writer who has been accused of a lot of bad things, and so they took him off, but I think it's clear... Let's just go into the details, because we haven't discussed this. The writer's was... Eric Escoval. Yeah, and he's been accused of harassing women, and the harassment... uh, uh, The harassment... Not charges. What's the word I'm looking for? Accusations. Accusations, yes. Accusations have been out there for quite some time. And he was actually working on a Vertigo book. The Vertigo book Which has ultimately, been canceled. Yes, ultimately got canceled after, I guess, DC did their own investigation into these harassment accusations. And he was supposed to actually take over the book, or at least work alongside Scott Lobdell for February, no, March's issue. And when the solicitations released... His name was taken off um, because they don't want him on the book. So the intent was that he was supposed to take over Nightwing, but because of the harassment accusations against him that either were found, were well, whatever they were, they were found enough to have DC say, you know what, we're not going to put you on this book. So he's not on the book. So you have somebody else coming on. Jurgens just happens to be it. But I don't know that this is long-term. But yeah, it is. it does feel like... Not necessarily damage control because the guy is not even touching the book at this point. It's more of a trying to, I don't know, I, I feel like maybe Lobdell didn't want to be on the book and the intent was to get somebody else on the book. Because if you remember when Percy left, he left very abruptly and nobody really expected him to leave, especially in the manner that he left um, because he had other projects that were more pressing for him. And suddenly books that were coming out had been completely, you know, changed. And we had Scott Lobdell on the book, but then we had Fabian Nesiza come on board to, to help out for a couple issues. But even he didn't stick around either. So it feels like maybe finally they're trying... Well, the intent, it seems, is as is if the, um, the writer that they planned on coming on board in March was their plan to get someone long-term on the book, and ultimately that has now fallen apart. So Jurgens may be on the book you know, to fill in another gap for the time being. We'll have to see. But yeah, so that was the controversy around it. It's not so much about the book itself, but about a writer who was meant to be attached to the series. Yeah, and it's really a shame. I mean, if you look at the history of Nightwing writers since Seeley left, it's very clear that DC has no idea whatsoever what to do with this book or this character. Yep. So, for now, we wait and see. Um, see what else uh, happens to come about later on. 
All right, so that being said, the other bit of news we have comes on um, January 25th. DC announced their offerings for free comic book day. I have to be honest, um, not anything against what they did announce, but I'm kind of disappointed because it seemed to be this like big mystery is maybe we're going to get a big title or you know something in the lines of DC Universe Rebirth, something like that, or even who knows. I was just expecting something more. It feels like the last couple of years, free comic book day as far as DC offerings have just been kind of like meh. And uh, I'm not, and like I said, I'm not trying to speak ill, but the two books that are coming, the gold title will be a chapter from the upcoming Under the Moon, a Catwoman tale, and uh, the silver book that DC will have is Dear uh, a comic or a chapter from Dear Justice League, um, which is the which is from the DC Zoom imprint. Both of these books are coming out um, very shortly after it. The silver title is actually. I should say, Dear Justice League is expected to hit shelves on August 6th, while Under the Moon, the Catwoman tale will be hitting stores on May 5th. Um, the special issue of the, the Under the Moon will also include a look at the Teen Titans Raven graphic novel as well. But I'll be honest, I'm not necessarily opposed to them promoting these new line of books. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I have a problem with is that it doesn't seem to be focus towards the mainstream collector now I should say mainstream the the DC comic collector these are geared more towards the mainstream random people who are going to be walking into a comic shop to get a free comic and this is what they're going to get which is fine I get the marketing aspect of this the issue I have is I, I missed the days where we were getting you know, a free comic that was hinting at a massive event or hinting at a bunch of different things that were coming up very shortly. I, I miss that kind of stuff. And last year, I know that one of the free comic book titles was a chapter from uh, DC Superhero Girls, um, th that graphic novel. And honestly, I don't feel like there's been anything for a while. Last year, they also had the DC preview, or not previews, the... Uh, DC Nation, but that was like a 25 cent comic that didn't release at the same time. But I just, I wish there was something more DC continuity wise. That's all. I think it's clear if you look at the way DC has basically ignored Free Comic Book Day um, for the last several years that they understand what free comic book day is about um marvel has kept doing like significant titles uh, in their free comic book day and a lot of collectors who i've talked to online are really mad about it because they don't like having a gap because you can't put a free comic book day in your pull list so you have to come in on an extra day um to get this book and if it's an essential part of a storyline or a new jumping on point um they feel they've lost part of the story um, I mean, I always go to free comic book day, so I never miss it. So I don't feel that way, but I can understand if you only come in or if your comic book store is a long ways away, that would be a significant inconvenience. Um, and so I think that's what DC's mindset is. They want to get the new readers. They want to try and create that new audience. And so they're shooting young, which is the way to go with a new audience. Um, but they know that the mainstream collectors are more focused on their pull lists. Yeah, I was, I mean, I had never stepped foot in a comic book store, but, you know, I liked 
superheroes or whatever. And so my brother-in-law was like, oh, there's free comics today. I was like, what? And so this was back when we had our one and only comic book shop that didn't last very long. But, you know, that got me in the store and that I was someone who probably would never even paid attention to the fact that I had a comic book store. So it it makes sense for them to put their focus on the new readers, even to the disappointment of the old readers, because you got to yeah. make money. They're a business. I, and, and I agree. And, and like I said, we've, we've had conversations and discussions about DC being a business and that's what they are. And it, that is the truth of the matter. They are, in fact, a business. They have to make money. And if this is something that... Like, I'll be honest, and I've said this before, DC Zoom and DC Inc. are extremely important for the longevity of DC Comics as a company. If this stuff works very well, they will reach a whole different market of, you know, that, that they currently are not really, you know, getting to. So, and an audience, an audience that potentially isn't reading the products either. So, I'm all for them pushing DC Zoom and DC Inc., but I still will say that I miss the days of yeah. getting a book that has not necessarily repercussions, but a hint at something or, you know, an event that is coming up because those are always fun. I mean, the so, last time I can remember them doing that was the Divergence thing. And I think 2015, where it basically had these three, I mean, it's a lot like the DC Nation thing. It was three stories that hinted at what Batman, Superman and Justice League were going to be doing in the next six months. But I don't think they've done anything like that since then. Yeah, I couldn't speak to it either because it's been—I honestly couldn't—I couldn't remember that that uh, that far back anyway. <laughs> anyway, that being said, um, that is all the news. There is no more news. I will say that uh, as you're listening to this. Last week in the Batcave by Jessica is on is going to be making its return, so there is going to be some more content over on the site for you guys to check out. Also, j- just as a quick heads up, uh, there is a couple of there's there's also some more editorials. I normally mention these later, but I'm going to mention this now. There's a couple of editorials. One is posted right now. The other one. Will probably be posted by your listening by the time you're listening to this, or shortly thereafter. But uh, real quick, uh, Ian, this the first one is yours. Tell everybody what it's about so they go check it out. So I wrote a piece inspired by the most recent, well, not the most recent anymore, but the um, Heroes in Crisis number four issue, which featured Batgirl sort of talking about her relationship with Batman after the Killing Joke. And one of my very favorite stories, like of all time, is um, called Oracle Year One by John Ostrander and his late wife, Kim Yale. Illustrations by Brian Stelfreeze, who does Black Panther. He's like super famous now. And it was in the Batman Chronicles, an old 90s title. Great, great set of anthology books. And it just examined, you know, what happened with uh, Barbara after she was shot for a year. Like, how did she become Oracle? What was her first villain that she fought? And I love that story in its depiction of just how angry Barbara is with Batgirl, but also because it shows her healing and it shows that Batman cares about her. Whereas in Heroes in Crisis, um, she, she gives a long speech to Harley about how Batman judges her and he doesn't see her as a person, but he sees her as his own failure. Um, and... That's something that hasn't really been articulated in previous comics. So I, I went back and looked at a couple issues. Um, I 
I really just dug into the dialogue of both of those those books and tried to parse out what are they saying about Batman? What are they saying about Barbara? And I actually just listened to an interview with Tom King and he confirmed one of my theories, which is that I think that Barbara is telling the truth, but I think that she's a more mature person now. She's She's been healing her relationship with Bruce since then, but she knows that Harley is not in that place. Harley's not a healed person in a lot of ways. And so she uses her great intellect, her ability to work with people, to forge a connection with Harley to stop her, you know, destructive crime speed that's going on during Heroes in Crisis. So it was kind of nice to have Tom King sort of confirm my theory. Um, but I'm really proud of this article. Um, I got Stella, you know, the Batgirl expert, to take a look at it, and she, she gave me some good hints, so I, I really appreciate her, her work there. Yes, and then uh, the other the other article that will be coming out or is out by the time you're listening to this is talking about death in Batman comics. This was done by Donovan. Um, it'll be in. This is another really interesting read. And the only reason I I'm not sure exactly of how long it's going to be before it gets up um, is because it's like a four thousand word essay. So, um, oh my gosh, it's going to take you some time that for me to edit it, and I might end up breaking it up if it makes sense. But it's a big thing, and it basically just has to do with, you know, like, do, does death really matter nowadays? Um, so that's that's another thing you can look forward to. And like I said, we're always looking for other content out there, too. So if anybody listening out there is any is interested in submitting the content for TBU, be sure to get in touch with us at TBU at thebatmanuniverse.net. With that, we're going to dive straight into our comic book reviews, and the first book we have is Batman. <laughs> So Batman number 63, uh, writer Tom King, artist Mikhail Janin, and colorist Jordi Belair. This is Nightmares Part 3. Months ago, atop Finger Tower, Bruce Wayne waited. A letter lay on his pillow, and he knew that the woman who had promised to marry him wasn't coming. As he prepared to leap off the rooftop, one word halted him. Bat. In her wedding dress and veil, Selina appears, saying she wanted to be good, to leave him for the good of the world, but she needs him and came here instead. Over their embrace, John Constantine begins speaking. He tells Batman of a dream of his mother, who died when he was born, and the daughter he never had, over a vision of Bruce and Selina on their honeymoon, on a sun-streaked beach. Over an image of Batman and Catwoman kissing in the rain, Standing on a gargoyle, he continues narrating his dream, telling of his abusive father. Constantine says that it's just a dream. Batman, ignoring him, says goodbye to his wife, and Catwoman leaps off the gargoyle. Catwoman sa- uh, sorry, Constantine says that Selina will die, and Batman leaps off in a different direction, dismissing the worry. Later, as Selina showers, Bruce moves to join her, but Constantine continues his warning. As Bruce ignores him again, Selina breaks their kiss and smells smoke. In a baseball stadium at night, Two-Face challenges Batman, who knocks him out easily. Constantine asks, where's the wife? Batman says she's covering Two-Face's other clue. Constantine presses, reminding him of the puzzling case of Master Bruce from issues 38 and 61. He asks why it took so long to determine that Pig was Damien in issue 62. Batman strides off, declaring that Catwoman will be fine. 
In the library of Wayne Manor, Selina tries to convince Bruce to change the code on the grandfather clock so that it's not a permanent memorial to his dead parents. As she descends into the cave, Constantine tells Bruce he, he's given up to trying to persuade him. Live the dream, he says with bitterness. Bruce punches him in the face, demanding to know why Constantine is so detached and selfish, and not a hero using his powers to save the world. In the Batmobile, Catwoman asks what's wrong. Batwoman says everything's normal, and they discuss life in Gotham. In a gap in the conversation, Batman asks Catwoman to kiss him. They kiss, and when she asks, is that enough? He responds, no, never. Constantine gets in an elevator, begins to light a cigarette, and when his fellow passenger objects, says that, since it's all a dream, he's not really smoking. He gets out of the elevator, finding Catwoman, Batman holding Catwoman in his arms, dead. The sniper got her, like KGB Scott Dick, but succeeded where Beast failed. Batman asks Constantine what is happening, and he responds that someone has captured Batman, strapped him to a machine, and is using scarecrow gas to drive him mad. Batman asks if Constantine is there to help him, but the dream responds that Batman is alone, and he will go mad as all dreams become nightmares. So, I have several questions about this issue. Uh, the first one is, we see here a picture of what Batman's married life with Catwoman could be. Um, how did you respond to that? Do you think it would have been a better direction to go instead of what we got? Well, uh, that's a loaded question because I, know. I think that we all want him to be with Catwoman. Um, I, I think the thing is, would I want to see him happy? Yes, I would. Do I think that portraying it the way they are right now is is what we, you know, is... Honestly, it doesn't really, like, what we're shown here doesn't really feel like it's anything more than what we were being shown prior to the wedding not actually happening. They're close, she's around, that stuff is, you know, it's the same kind of stuff we were seeing before the wedding, did, you know, fell through. So, I don't know that this necessarily is... Anything more than just a reminder of what could have been. And it's it's unfortunate because I wish that it would have happened. And hopefully maybe somehow we can manage to get out of this story. And they're at least back on speaking terms and maybe in a relationship, just not married. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's just one of those things where it's like, I wish it would have happened. And quite honestly, I don't like being reminded that it didn't. I don't think this is what it would have been like if the series had continued with the with the wedding, because because it is a dream. There is a desperation to Batman that that because he knows he knows this isn't real. He knows this is a dream. You can tell through the whole thing. He's he's desperately clinging onto it. And I, I don't think that's what he would be like, you know, in real life if if this was just a normal thing. So. In some ways, I don't think this is what it would have been like. Obviously, Constantine wouldn't be watching him take a shower. So that wouldn't be there. <laughs> um, maybe. Maybe they did like that. I don't know. But um, I, th I, I don't know. I liked the way that uh, Selena is still trying to help him heal from, you know, 
who he was, you know, this whole time um, as as what made him Batman, you know, with with, you know, urging him to, you know, change the code on the clock. Um, so he's still remembering who, who she was. And in a way, I, elements like that, I, I would hope would be in the in the series. But um, I feel like like Bruce is too desperate for her to to live. I think for it to to be real. Like I don't think maybe he would, but it just feels like he's too distracted um, as Batman. I don't feel like Batman would ever let himself get that distracted on on missions. I don't think. I think those are both excellent points. Uh... I agree with Dustin that it was extremely painful yes. um, to see what what could have been, um, but I I liked the glimpses of happiness. It was sort of like the Batman Annual number two, um, where we saw you know the future, mm-hmm. um, where they were married and he had, they had a daughter and Bruce dies surrounded by his family. Like it's very bittersweet, but it's also just glimpses of of happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I appreciated that. I don't know, even though it's not real, I thought that it's maybe glimpses of what's in the parallel universe where they did get married in, in the annual. So I, I really like that. And I like the fact that it was McElgin. And so it felt like you could read this right after number 50 as sort of like, this is what it would have looked like because it's the same art. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a thing that Selena says that she wanted to be good and leave him. Um, and this goes to the whole idea of her letter to him, where she says that if she is going to be a hero, she has to give Batman up. Because if she marries him, he won't be Batman anymore. And so many people will die or be you know, harmed because he's not there to save them. And this really... Um, this gets at the heart of what Tom King's whole Batman run is about. Tom King's Batman says that he is a machine taking pain, his pain, the pain of others, and turning it into justice and salvation, saving people so they don't have to have what happened to him as a child happen to them. Um, I don't know if either of you watched the show called The The Good Place, um, but they just had an episode this season about a character who's what's called a happiness pump, someone who makes his entire life um, about trying to maximize happiness for others. Mm. And that sounds noble, but you realize that, number one, you become completely miserable because you're, uh, you, you don't ever consider your own desires. You don't take care of yourself. Everything becomes about other people in a very unhealthy way. You don't have a self anymore. Um, and so when when we have... Catwoman looking at Batman as this sort of machine turning pain into into justice that really reminds me of that. So I am I'm really wondering if there's an element of that in Tom King's thinking. Of course Tom King understands that Batman's a fundamentally broken character. Um he he's always held back by the death of his parents and he's never going to stop being held back as long as he's Batman. I think that there is a way for him to become more happy. Um I think he could actually have a marriage with Catwoman or with someone else, probably not Talia because she refuses to be give up murder, but, but, uh, but Catwoman or Vicki Vale or, um, Silver St. Cloud or, or somebody, or Julie Madison. I think any of these, he could form a healthy relationship with and, and be happier. Maybe not ha- completely happy because nothing's ever completely happy. Um, 
But I think right now Batman is sort of stuck, at least Catwoman's vision of Batman is sort of stuck with this idea of Batman as a happiness pump. And I think that's something I think Tom King is going to deal with. Uh, another thing that's really interesting about this um, is the question of, you know, Batman ignores all of Constantine, I mean, Dream Constantine's warnings. Um, and I think that this is very reminiscent of uh, another play and movie called Shadowlands about the author C.S. Lewis who wrote the Narnia books. Uh, and he gets married to a woman when he's in his, uh, I think, 50s. And she has cancer. And so they know she's going to die when he gets married. And he chooses to marry her knowing she's going to die relatively soon, although they do get actually some reprieve. They get married for three years. And at the end of the movie, he says that the pain is part of the price you pay for the happiness. And I think that Tom King is saying something like that, because in the end, we all die, no matter how happy your marriage is, no matter how happy your children are, no matter how happy this dinner, this movie, this anything you have, it will end and you will die. And I think that there is something really powerful to me in in this comic. Um, and I, I really liked it for that reason. It, it really wrestled with the ideas of, is the pain we know is coming worth grasping the happiness we can now? I don't know if anyone has thoughts on that. I just sort of was rambling because I, I really had a lot of reactions to this issue. I mean, I, I don't have any immediate thoughts other than I would, I, I really do hope that Tom King, you know, picks this thought that he's presenting here between Catwoman and Batman up because it would, it's something that, I don't know. I mean, like, obviously I, I really just want Tom King to pick up more Catwoman and Batman stuff. Um, that's really what it comes down to. And I feel like he will, but this definitely does feel like he's, he's opening the door for a specific thing to be discussed in the future. So I'm hopeful for that. Gosh, way to get deep in. Oh my goodness. Um, and you're probably right. Like he, he, I mean, even when you don't like what he's writing, you have, can't argue that there's something deeper in what, what Tom King writes. Um, and he is trying to get something across. Um, definitely. I mean, you could write, there have been books written just on, on what is the point of, of getting married? What's the point of love? What's the point of doing anything sometimes? Um, so without getting too far into that, <laughs> no, I think you made some, some really good points and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to what, what, what he's going to do. And I really hope he, cause you know, we all want the happy ending. We all desperately want the happy ending. We want the marriage. We want the, what is it? There's, 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 there's a comedy ending, a comedy ending and the drama ending and the comedy ending always is a wedding and the drama is always a death. And so I don't think he'll kill off Catwoman, hopefully. <laughs> but <laughs> <We> hope not. <laughs> although uh, we have discussed, <laughs> we have discussed that, you know, well, this, we know he's is, killing this off Batman. is this uh, Tom King's way of killing Batman. So, you know, I guess the question is, is this a comedy or is this a drama? And it's obviously, you know, not a comedic book. But, you know, will we get the, the happy storybook ending? Or, and like you said before, you know, comics don't have an ending, so there can't actually be an ending to the story. Well, there can be an ending to the story, but there won't be an ending to the to the book. I had a really good conversation with someone about where Batman's going under Tom King um, on online. And they said that if you look at the trajectory of Tom King's work, where he started with 
uh, Omega Men and Vision, which are very bleak, those do not have a lot of hope at the end. Um, and then you look at the way he's writing these these things. I think there's a sense that he is finding a better place, a, a better way to balance the trauma and the stress of his life, because you know he was a CIA officer who worked in counterterrorism in Iraq and Afghanistan, so he saw a lot of really really dark things and. I think he felt he really couldn't make a difference. And I think you really see that in Omega Men particularly, but also Vision, where Vision can't prevent just the complete destruction of his own family. And I think that the fact that he's basically doing the destruction of Batman's family and his own self in the middle of this indicates that there's there's an upward trajectory. I I don't see that this will keep going down and down and down. I think that it's very unlikely that we'll get a marriage um, just because I don't see DC willing to make that bold of a choice. Um, yes, I am saying that I think Detective Comics Comics is uh, a cowardly, um, or, or shall I say, a, a change-averse organization. But I think that King will end with Batman having made some kind of peace, and I think it will be good. Um, I think it will look up going forward and and i really hope so uh i don't have any inside knowledge this is just the results of me mulling on this and then having this good conversation where it seems that tom king is moving in a certain direction as an artist and it's not going to be happy because he knows that life isn't isn't easy but it's going to be i think hopeful i think he's got an element of hope that wasn't there in his first few works um one thing i read soon after the wedding didn't happen was that someone was not necessarily the way it was done, but they were, they were content with the wedding not going through because as they were in issue 50, both Batman and Catwoman were too emotionally unhealthy to get married. And, and you do have to be in a good place to get married because another person will never fulfill you. Another person will never, if you, you know, we talk about, Oh, you're all I need in life. But you need to be okay on your own. <laughs> you need yeah, to be Yeah, if you healthy. get married to be happy, you yeah, won't be happy. You won't be happy. It's not going to happen. And that was one thing that really was they were driving home with Batman. Like, I need to love you. You know, I need basically Batman saying, I need you in my life. And, and that's romantic and sweet. But like on a psychological level, that is unhealthy. It's very and, immature. It's like a, a <laughs> very boy immature. his mother. And so I wonder if whether or not the wedding happens in the end, and, you know, issue 100, 105, wherever we are now, <laughs> is I d- it's almost, you know, the romantic in us really wants them to get married and happily ever after, and it'll be so great, but, that, you know, that's not real life. And, and Tom King seems like a really down-to-earth kind of writer, you know, evidenced by the fact that he never uses any of the cool gadgets in the, in the utility belt. You know, those are too unrealistic, I guess, for him. <laughs> But, you know, he seems really down to earth and it's really more mind games rather than, than, than fighting games in this book. So, so I wonder if in the end it's not so much the storybook happy ending as much as, as will he be a healthy person in the end? And, and so, you know, what you were saying before about, um, you know, it, it, will he be content? Will he be happy? 
with himself. Like I'm a people pleaser. So what you were saying really struck with me about, about, about being the happiness pump, you know, and, and it is, it leaves you drained. It leaves you unhappy. It leaves you blah. And so for Batman to, to serve Gotham, but, but spare enough of himself to take care of himself and to be content. Um, I think that, that, that would be okay for me if that's how King ended the series, his run. I agree. I think that would be nice. I think that would be as good an ending as you can hope for a character who's been around for 80 years. All right. So, Batman, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five. I gave it four and a half out of five. Uh, It looks like I gave it four out of five, I think. Or was it four and a half? Four out of five. So that's going to give Batman a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics, number 997, written by Peter Tomasi, art by Doug Mankey. The issue starts off with Batman screaming for Thaddeus to wake up, realizing that they were, they're now trapped in a fish tank with the water slowly rising. Thaddeus asks Batman how they got into this mess. Batman tells him that they were gassed after the ground had flipped over. Thaddeus has, a- asks Batman if he knows why this monster attacked him and made him wear his old costume. Batman tells him that he was his teacher. This monster is going after all the important people in Bruce's life. Batman asks Thaddeus if he knows of a way to escape, and he responds that he does not. As the water level in the tank rises above their heads, Batman and Thaddeus hold their breath as they think of a way to escape. To make matters worse, they are surrounded by sharks. With Thaddeus' open open wounds exposed, the sharks are ready to tear them apart. Batman realizes Thaddeus' living room was staged for this. The windows are sealed with some sort of metal, and he knows that the leather used to tie them up was saturated leather. Saturated leather gets tighter as he struggles to move. He cannot separate his shoulders and work his way out of the bonds. Whoever sprung the trap was good. Thaddeus knows his blood is attracting the sharks. As one shark approaches him, a projectile from Batman's cowl is launched, hitting the shark and saving Thaddeus. This distraction gives Thaddeus enough time to reposition himself and use the strap against the shark. Meanwhile, Batman uses his gauntlet to slice the belly of a passing shark. Batman notes his old teacher is beginning to run out of air. The metal window behind them opens and a flood of piranhas enter the tank. Thankfully, they will go after the sharks first, but it will not be long before they turn their attention onto Batman and Thaddeus. Batman moves to where the chunk of shark meat is floating. As a piranha bites into the meat, they also bite Batman's strap. These piranhas tear through the leather straps enough for Thaddeus to remove them. With his hands free, Batman frees Thaddeus just as his air runs out. Now on land, the two are met by a monster Batman. This thing that taunts Batman by asking if he was looking for his utility belt, which the monster has on. Batman asks the monster, attacks the monster, and reclaims it. In response, the monster spawns people who look like his parents and then has them attack Bruce. Batman fights against them and sends a grappling hook through this monster's face. Batman drops the monster into a fish tank of piranhas that he and Thaddeus were just in. In the monster's last words to Batman were... Remember, the cowl eats its own. Batman je- Batman's jet arrives, and he asks Thaddeus if he needs a ride. Thaddeus tells him he wants to join Batman on this mission. It's the first time he fell alive in a long time. Batman tells him that this is a solo mission, but something he has to do on his own. 
Um, in his lab outside of Gotham, Hugo Strange is messing with some experiments while in a Batman costume. Batman blows up a wall and walks inside. Strange states that whoever did this will die just as Batman attacks him. All right, so the first question I have is Thaddeus Brown, who is one, was one of, uh, who has previously in the past been Mr. Miracle, um, this character has never appeared as a teacher of Bruce Wayne in any other form. Um, generally speaking, the person that we've all known Batman or who have, who, have, who taught Batman to, you know, the, the art of escaping things and the magic, you know, the sleight of hand type stuff was always John Zatara. My question to you guys is, do you feel like, well, to be clear, Zatara is meant to be dead currently. So I want to make that clear because if you're, so there's a, there's a lack of the ability for that character to appear but the fact that we have this character who's never really appeared with Batman as a teacher before, but is thrusted into the story, while we have other characters who have been been a part of the story, this character appears much more in the story. If you remember, the last issue had Henry Ducard, but also the Sensei, and the the story was in some ways split, where Henry Ducard didn't get an entire issue dedicated to you know just his character. Do you feel like? The fact that this character is somebody who's not previously established as part of Bruce's history um, is deserving of a full issue, or do you feel like maybe we didn't need to get as much as we did? Well, when you are telling everyone that this is a oh, this is a well-established character who is who's his, uh, you know Bruce's best friend or whatever, but he never existed, then I feel like you have to spend the extra time because you can't say, go read, you know, Batman issue, you know, 35 or whatever, because there isn't anything there to read. So so you have to spend the extra time introducing the character. Just hopefully this wasn't just a throwaway character. Like, like Ducard kind of came and went. Like, I don't feel too bad he didn't get too much because he's, he's gone now. <laughs> so if they did spend all this time introducing... You know Thaddeus, and then Thaddeus will have nothing left to do in the series. That will be a little disappointing that they spent so much time on him. Yeah, I'm going to be very interested to see if this character shows up again because usually you don't leave a character alive and saying things like, "Oh man, I felt so alive in this adventure," and then not have him in adventures in the future. So he may put him on the shelf for later and be able to, you know, bring him back out because now he's been introduced, but. Yeah, if he doesn't, that'll be, I don't know, waste of an issue. And here's hoping that he does have a reason to be brought back because, honestly, it does feel like he's one of the few that survived yeah. these attacks, too. <laughs> so there's that part of it, too. Um, my other question is about this monster. So, obviously, at the end of the issue, we see Hugo Strange. As we know, Hugo Strange has been linked to a variety of different things related to monsters, most Recently, the monster, Night of the Monster Men, he was involved in that. Um, but he also has been involved in a variety of other monster-type stories where he he has these creations and things like that. He was originally a mad scientist to begin with before he was more of a psychological doctor um, who messes with Bruce Wayne slash Batman's mind. Hugo Strange being hinted at as this person who is, you know, potentially... 
it's hinted, but it's not confirmed. We don't know for sure that he's the one who's created these monsters, but definitely Batman's going in the right direction if he's looking for someone who has dealt with monsters in the past. So I guess my question is, do you think that the last, you know, the this this kind of hint that Hugo Strange is involved is kind of like a red herring, or do you feel like he legitimately is involved? I think it's a red herring. We've still got, what is it? Eight, nine, and then a thousand. There's still two more issues to go chasing things around the world. I don't. I think he may get some information, possibly, and it's possible that that Strange has something to do with it. But he's definitely not, you know, the big bad. Yeah, I mean, we know the big bad's the Arkham Knight, and there's no right. way that Hugo Strange is the Arkham Knight. My money's still on alternate universe Jason Todd or Bruce Wayne. Um, I, I think that he's clearly going to be the main antagonist of the next issue. So I don't think he's like a red herring in that. I don't think he's a red herring in the same way that the, the villains at the end of the first issue were a red herring. Cause you know, Batman's like, you're trapped in here with me and he's going to beat them all up. And then turns out that none of them are involved and is completely pointless. So I think that, I think Hugo Strange is definitely going to be involved. He probably helped create this sort of flesh monster, but I don't think he's the big bad at all. I don't know. It feels like the big, except for this one, like the beginning of every issue really by the end had nothing to do with anything. So, and vice versa. So I don't, I don't think Strange will have that much to do with the next one. I'm hoping for good things. (laughs) The one thing I will say, I'm hoping, I, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly let down by the fact that, you know, Batman is in a tank with sharks. And what did he not have? He did not have bat shark repellent. Come on, where's the (laughs) bat shark repellent? Oh my gosh. Well, that was the point. He didn't need it. He has other things he can take out the sharks with. I know, but it's classic. (laughs) Kind of piggybacking off of my last question, this monster that keeps popping up, do you think that each one of these monsters that's attacked the different people has been different or do you think that they're somehow the same meaning could it be something like clayface where it's like clayface breaks himself off into multiple pieces i'm not saying it's clayface but i'm saying like something like how clayface can make himself into multiple beings because i feel like i mean obviously we saw the one with ducard get blown up this one gets eaten by the sharks and the the piranhas, but it feels like the these things just keep coming. So and, and they're not always looking exactly the same. I mean, initially when that first one appeared that uh, went after Leslie, it just felt like a specific hulking monster. But then the la- the next one was able to, when it was dealing with Ducard was like morphing its face and stuff. And then obviously we still have these uh, the other presumably the same monsters where you know that we had the one attack alfred we don't know if it was a monster if it was somebody else but something attacked alfred and he said he thought it would look like zorro but yet it had the voice of commissioner gordon Mm. so is it possible that all of these monsters every everything that's been happening is related back to these monsters that we keep being seen or do you think that there is somebody obviously there's somebody else but do you think that there's something else involved or are all the attacks being completed by these monsters, whether they are a singular being or multiples. Well, I don't think any of these beings appeared 
smart enough to to have a plan, especially if they're dying. Like they have to be just minions. Like there's something controlling them. And I know I just I just flew this week, so I'm just thinking of you know getting these guys through customs. You know, I <laughs> obviously probably aren't flying commercial airplanes, but um, it probably makes more sense that they're being created near where they're being deployed because they all have completely different fighting styles and they seem to look different and fight different so it it doesn't make sense that they're all spawned from the same thing necessarily like this one you know created tiny little <laughs> bat family members to attack batman oh this issue um and where you know the first one like you said was just a big hulky monster and then it just they all seem different enough that that i think they were different monsters created for the different areas and and teachers I think... Although we don't know, I mean, we never saw the one that killed all the senseis people, right? Because that one came and went before Batman got there. I don't know. I think there's a chance that these are sort of monster drones, that there's some kind of mind control or remote control that the Arkham Knight's using to, to run them. Because they all do seem to have the same general mission and same general anger and like manipulation of Batman going on. But, uh, I mean, I think actually a drone makes a little more sense than a bunch of individual monsters. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think the monsters are involved, but I feel like they're just the henchmen. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Detective Comics, I'm going to give a total of four out of five. Oh, golly. Three out of five, that... The Shark Tank fight was so old school. I just couldn't appreciate it that much. Three to five. And over on the site, Tony gave it three and a half out of five. So it's going to give Detective Comics a total of three and a half out of five bad ranks. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over to the site for Greater Gotham. Starting off on January 23rd, we have Main TBU Books, where we talked about Batman 63. The Batman 100-page comic giant number 7, Batman's pursuit of the Riddler and the Mysterious Egg, leads him to Thanagar, home of the Hawk people. This is by Ian. He gave it 3 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral, but I don't think we're the intended audience, so I think this would be a thumbs up if you were a younger reader or, or, or you liked Batman Unlimited or something. Yeah, great. I like the Justice League action audience. Yeah. All right. No secondary TVU books. Main DC Universe books. Justice League number sixteen. Martian Manhunter learns about m- learns more about the history of Mars while the League deals with the people of Thanagar. This is by Corbin. He gave it three out of five. I'm gonna give this one a neutral. Abstain. Abstain. Teen Titans number 26. The Teen Titans break into the Batcave, but all might not be as it seems as Robin continues to keep secrets. Zubay Adil, he gave it 3.5 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Neutral. Secondary DC Universe books. The Curse of Brimstone Annual number 1. The Batman Who Laughs appears in one of the three short stories found in the annual. Damage number 13. Batman appears in a main role of in this issue's story. DC 
Primal Age, 100-page comic giant number one, the heroes of the DC burst into a primal age of adventure and daring do. This is by Ian. He gave it three out of five. Uh, that's obviously something we would not normally cover, but we did this time around. Um, Teen Titans Go, number 32, digital chapters, number 63 through 64. The Teen Titans Go version of Dick Grayson and Robin appears in the issue. Um, moving over to January 30th, main TV books where we talked about Detective Comics, Batgirl number 31, Barbara Gordon gets deeper into the political intrigue as criminal forces stir up trouble in Gotham City. This is by Jerry. He gave it three out of three and a three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Secondary TBU books, Batman Beyond number 28. While Batman continues to fight Joker Cyborg, Robin is captured by the real Joker. This is by Bill. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. This is Batman Beyond? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thumbs down. Old Lady Harley, number four, Harley and the gang travel to Vegas, meeting Mayor Lobo and crashing a summit en route to meeting her oldest flame. This is by David. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Abstain. And uh, I know uh, we were ta- we were talking about this before the recording, but uh, we were uh, Ian was saying that he is he has been enjoying the current run of Harley Quinn, and I and I said, well, I I actually kind of like old Harley better, and I and I think the reason why is because I think Harley Quinn currently is the the, the main series. I feel like it's currently trying to do something different, but it's not following that. Connor Palmiotti version of the character that we had for such a long period of time. And I'm not saying there's a, there's anything wrong with having a new take on a character, a new version of the character, but it feels like Humphreys was he 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 tried to mimic kind of some of the stuff that they were doing with the the female fur, furies and the space stuff and then it turned into you know something else and it doesn't feel like that same harley quinn that's not necessarily a bad thing i'm not saying that but this i was about to harley... say every time that you reviewed the um <laughs> palmer palmiati connor run of harley quinn you were like oh this book makes no sense i don't like it <laughs> that's true but i think i got so accustomed to that version of the character that when i picked up old lady harley which is not by connor and palmiati but by frank Thierry, who quite honestly is probably the closest thing you can get to Connor Palmiotti, um, as far as writing the same style of Harley Quinn, this feels just like that. But I will say that it's really good. The, one, one of the things that makes this series really enjoyable is the fact that like you're seeing this alternate future that could exist. It's not in continuity. There's no effect. You're not going to sit there and try to scratch your head trying to figure out how all of this makes sense because you know outright that it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not actually happening. And there's, I'm all I'm always for Elseworlds trying something and doing something different because if it's out of continuity, you don't have to sit there and try to piece it together. Or I should say I don't have to sit there and try to piece it together in my own head because it doesn't make any sense. So it's it's funny to see certain things where – you know what? What is Batman like in the future? What is Batgirl like in the future? You know, Dick Grayson was actually married to Harley Quinn in the future. It's funny because it doesn't matter. None of it matters. It's just it's there. Harley Quinn, the main series, and part of the reason why I had problems with the Connor Palmiotti run was that like stuff would happen, but it would con- and sometimes it would contradict some of the other things that were happening in other titles. Obviously, there's the whole Suicide Squad is. Got Harley Quinn, but then Harley Quinn's in her own book, and none of them have any. You know, they never in line go in line at all. 
But outside of that, it really just feels like Harley Quinn was doing her own thing, which is which is perfectly fine when you don't have the character appearing in other books. And that's the issue. This old lady Harley, because it's set in the future, and you know it's not in continuity, it can do whatever it wants. And I think that's why I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it because Canada's full of zombies and Wayne Gretzky, or zombie Gretzky, is, is the prime minister. And Lex Luthor is the president of Lexico, which is hilarious. And Cat Grant always. Cat is Grant. a clone. <laughs> I love all, all the Cat Grant the clones. <laughs> All right, main DC Universe books. Heroes in Crisis number five. Superman and Wonder Woman address the public. Batgirl and Harley do some investigating. Booster Gold and Blue Beetle try and execute the dumbest idea ever. This is by Dill. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Justice League Annual number one. The League teams with other universe organizations to try and fix the source wall. This is by Corbin. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Thumbs down. Teen Titans Annual Number One, the two-part story featuring Robin confronting Red Hood about the other and the rest of the Teen Titans responding to a distress call at a local mall. This is by Adil. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Neutral. And I'll I'll defend my neutral by saying (laughs) I was expecting a little bit more with the Robin Red Hood stuff. It felt like uh, they led to something. They hinted at something. They hyped something. But then we got nothing. I didn't, yeah, that's true. Not that I expected them to like all you know just go out and you know beat each other to to within an inch of their life or anything. But I feel like it was kind of like, well, I'm investigating this. Well, I'm investigating this. Well, let's fight. Okay, cool. And now we're gonna go our separate ways. It, it just are you telling me it went like every other guest star has gone in the Red Hood series? Moving on, secondary DC Universe books, The Flash number sixty three. A villain that Flash defeats ends up in Arkham Asylum. The Flash Annual Number 2, Batman makes a brief appearance as Barry deals with the fallout of the Heroes in Crisis event. Justice League Odyssey Number 5, Azrael appears as part of the main team in the issue. The Silencer Number 13, Tyrell Ghoul, continues to play a role in the series along with Leviathan. And then as far as TVU trades and hardcovers, we have Nightwing Rebirth, Deluxe Edition Book 3 hardcover. Absolute Flashpoint hardcover. Batman in the Brave and the Bold, The Bronze Age, Volume 2, Trade Paperback, Dark Knight's Metal, Trade Paperback, and Batman Troika, Trade Paperback. We also have a, the latest edition of TBU Collected is, in fact, featuring Batman Troika. So if you are more interested in learning more about that story, head over to the comic editorial section and you will be able to check that out as well. That being said, that is all of our, our, our that is all of Greater Gotham. If we gave up thumbs up, thumbs down, or a neutral rating, or I read a review, or I gave a rating from somebody on the site, all of those reviews have detailed synopsis and uh, an analysis for every single one of those issues. Every single week, mon- uh, Wednesday, we post up all the Batman-specific titles. Um, on Thursday, we have the Greater Gotham books, which would be the allies and the villains as part of the Batman universe. And then on Fridays is all the team books or the DC-specific books, uh, like Heroes in Crisis, Just League, Teen Titans, those kind of books. So every week there are books, like I've said multiple times, there's less and less books, but we still have books that we are covering, so be sure to check out all those reviews. If you do, in fact, check out those reviews and you are keeping up with books using our reviews, take a moment to leave a comment for the people who are 
actually reviewing those books so that they know that you're taking a look at their reviews. Let them know whether or not you agree or you disagree with their thoughts because it starts a conversation. Also, I encourage you to join the Discord because that's there's also conversations going on over there related to all of the books that release every single week as well. All right, so with that being said, before we get into our listener comments, I just want to quickly thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Robert, Donald, Stephanie, Brendan, Ian, Anthony, Arturo, Irwin, Captain America, Jay Dunn, and Real, Real No Deuces. I uh, greatly appreciate all of your support at the $10 and $20 levels. Uh, anybody that's supporting us at the lower tiers, we also greatly appreciate your support as well. If you are so inclined to support TBU, uh, you can support us with as little as $3, or even if you if you, you could actually support us with as little as $1 a month, you just wouldn't be eligible for any of the tier rewards. Um, you can support us by heading over the site, clicking on the link that says uh, support us on Patreon, and you can sign up and get access to a number of different rewards. Um, as For as little as $3 a month, you get uh, two extra episodes of TBU Raw, which is a short-form show showcasing two members of the TBU staff talking about topics. Just in the last couple of weeks, we've released episodes related to um, a discussion related to Aquaman, the, the movie. We released a episode related to The Batman Who Laughs, this theory of, you know, is Bruce Wayne that we know the worst version of a Bruce Wayne that there could be in the universe. Uh, we had one like that too. Um, there's a ton of other stuff. If you are so inclined to give a little bit more at the $10 level, we you get another two episodes of TBU Extra where we review something related to the Batman universe. Most of the time it's a comic, but it could be a recent media release like we just reviewed Titans Season 1 recently. So there's a number of different things you can get just by supporting us on Patreon. If you are unable to support us with your money you and you have some skills you'd like us or you'd like to share with us to help make TBU a better place, uh, you can do so by getting in touch with me at TBU at net. We're always looking for more comic book reviewers, content writers, uh, news writers, uh, graphic designers, web developers, audio editors, video editors, all, all kinds of stuff. So if you have any skills whatsoever that you think that TBU could make use of, be sure to get in touch with me at TBU at net. With that, we're going to jump straight over to our listener questions. <laughs> Boy, did you get a wrong number. Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! And the very first one we have comes from Kalinsky. As someone who has criticized you guys in the past for being a bit too negative, I am still here listening and I'm quite happy in the direction, in what direction it went so far. I actually like that you discuss the, ba- ba- the main Batman comics in depth and not just within five minutes compared to many others um, on the internet. It allows more in-depth discussion and interpretation of what is happening and might happen next, especially if Ian comes up with Shakespeare and stuff like that, which is... Usually above my head, see Penguin in number 58, or that Russian fable story. And I don't even realize it. Also, because you talk so much about it, it also gives me a different kind of perspective of the story, which I might haven't even realized before. 
Too many just summarized what happened and say whether they liked it or not. That's not an analysis and not interesting at all. And I really like that you talk do talk about other important events in other books, e.g. Selena getting her sister back, Dick returning into Rick, Damien supposedly killing Black Mask. Could be a longer discussion about it, though. I wouldn't mind that at all. The whole Justice League stuff doesn't really touch the Batman universe so much, so no point in, in to talk about that. But some comments slash thoughts about Doomsday Clock and Heroes in Crisis would be nice. I think we should uh, hold off our thoughts on Doomsday and Heroes until those series are, you know, finished. Because otherwise we don't really know how this could affect anything. That's a valid point, and that is exactly what we are doing. Um, part of the thing is, it's very difficult in some... It, here's the thing. I am. I, I completely agree with your comment regarding, you know, maybe sometimes we talk a little bit more about some of the events. It's part of the reason I, I brought up Old Lady Harley, because there's only one issue left. If you haven't been picking it up now, maybe me talking about it will incline you to decide to pick it up. Or maybe not. Maybe the trade. my... My uh, yeah, or you'll pick up the trade when it eventually comes out, or maybe you hear me talk about it and you're like, "Wow, that's definitely not what I want to see as <laughs> in a Harley Quinn book," and it'll steer you away from it. But I mean, that's that's kind of what we're here for. Um, that's why we do reviews on the site because the reviews on the site are basically the immediate reaction from people that I value their opinions because otherwise I wouldn't have them on the site doing articles and reviews and things like that so i value their input and their opinions on books and they're the immediate reaction from tbu of whether or not the book is good i might not always agree with their opinion but that's not to say that their opinion's not you know worthwhile so that's why we here talk about books and we will give a thumbs up thumbs down sometimes it differs than the rating on the site but sometimes yeah you're right we we could talk a little bit more about some of the other books but i try to stick to books that have like big events not big events but big things happening like a lot of the things you just mentioned about selena getting her sister back or dick turning into rick some of those things we probably don't spend as much time but i will say that a lot of the things that the dick turning into rick we had a massive um patreon cast where we had like four people on um talking about it and it wasn't it was me and there was a bunch of stuff was there and there was a bunch of staff from the site as well who were, who constantly are reviewing stuff on the site too and we were all there to talk about that so even though necessarily we don't talk about everything as in depth we do try to leave a couple of things out there because sometimes it's a little bit of a struggle to come up with things to talk about for the Patreon cast, especially with the idea that we're hopefully going to be bringing back the normal cast soon. And if we do that, there will be even more or even less things to talk about. So it's more of like a finding a fine line between, you know, getting through what we we want to get through here, but then also leaving maybe just a little bit else out there for us to discuss. It's also part of the reason why um, some of the Patreon casts, you know, we review some of the books that um, require a little bit more in-depth, like Heroes in Crisis or Doomsday Clock. We have reviewed... Uh, I'm not sure if we reviewed any Doomsday Clock, but I know we have reviewed um, issues of Heroes in Crisis and other issues too. So specifically, I definitely agree. Sometimes we could talk about more, a little bit more about that stuff, but it really just comes down to whether or not something really important happened in the book or not. And in, 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 in some cases... 
some of those things that happen require a much larger discussion than we're going to be able to dedicate in you know, like five, ten minutes here. So that's that's what those other casts are for. But I definitely agree. I will be I will make sure that if there are some big points that happen in some of these books in the near future, we do bring them up because it is worth noting some of the the major the major points that happen within the continuity realm of things. So, like discussing whether or not Jin has a crush on Damien, can we talk about that? No? Nope. Okay. <laughs> well, you don't read Teen Titans, right? Oh, I well, read I'm Teen about Titans. to read Teen Titans. <laughs> There's a genie who has a crush book. on Damien. It's awesome. I thought we wanted Red Arrow to get with Damien. Or, <laughs> no? Yeah, I do want Red Arrow to get with Damien. I don't, okay, that Shipping wars. So <laughs> it's like our own <laughs> shipper special. <laughs> it, sounds so, it sounds so bad because Red Arrow is definitely older, way older than, <laughs> than Damien. And let's be clear, Damien's only supposed to be 13 years old. So let's when I sit there and say out loud, yeah, I definitely want Red Arrow to get with Damien. It sounds so wrong, so absolutely wrong. Well, Jin is four thousand years old, so I think I will. Oh boy, there's some Twilight stuff there. Oh man, it's uh, a rabbit but, hole. I'm not going down. But I, um, I think that another thing that's sort of going on right now is, as Dustin says, we we don't have a lot of miniseries or anything that are really affecting the main. Uh, two books and i've been you know keeping an eye on the other books and there's some stuff that's gonna happen that will probably affect what's going on but right now they're just kind of in their own universes they're they're really not touching it's not very interconnected right now i mean does any other book even mentioned heroes in crisis because i know red hood and now teen titans did just because of red hood but like red hood and um flash a lot has green arrow green arrow of course okay Green Arrow has Flash. I feel like it just did it the last two weeks. Oh yeah, but that's what I meant. But just yeah, at Green all. Green Arrow had yeah. had that had Roy's uh, funeral. Yeah, okay, though, and that was a while back. So spoilers: Roy died in Heroes in Crisis. <laughs> yeah. Sorry if if you you've been not paying attention to what's been happening in Heroes in Crisis and for five months you're clear for steer clear of social media for the last five months yeah then then i apologize for spoiling that for you but yeah so yeah there's that um hopefully that that goes through it i also appreciate the fact that uh you appreciate the current direction or you know what we've what we've decided to go with we've been obviously doing this version of the comic cast for a while this is back from when ed and stella were still with us um, where we dive more in depth with these books, and I, I honestly appreciate this version of it is way more than the let's let's cover eight books in in a podcast and still try to keep it within the same time frame. So, um, as someone Kalinsky who has criticized us in the past, and you are quite happy with the direction we've gone, I I appreciate that. I appreciate you letting us know that we are we've. We've, we're doing a better job, even if you didn't necessarily say that as directly. So, thank you. All right, our next comment comes from ACN via Discord. He says, can you break down, to the best of your abilities, the structure of for how people in comics get paid? Who makes the most? Writer, artist, editor, colorist, etc. Do they get royalties? Do they get health insurance? And I'm not asking people's names and dollar amounts, just in general. And if no royalties, why in 
goodness's name not and if not healthcare why not bad negotiations creative talent or greedy companies okay so this is a uh this is a slightly tricky question to answer because i can't say that i'm super informed with every element of your question but i will say i I do know a couple of very specific answers which is do the creators attached to books get health insurance that's a flat out no they do not. They have to deal with their own, they're getting their their health insurance their own ways. I've heard of uh, different. I've heard on Twitter different creators talking about this, and it's not necessarily that. It, the thing is, they're freelancers, mm-hmm. and ultimately, it comes down to as a freelance, you're under contract. You're not an employee of the company. You are you are hired to do work for the company, but you are not an employee of the company. You're technically self-employed, so you're in charge of getting all that stuff for yourself. Exactly. So, And this applies to a lot of other fields, um, too. Like if you are an author, you don't get health insurance if you're an author. Or if you are a painter or a lot of creative-type jobs, you, you are a freelancer. I mean, that's what you do, and you are responsible for getting that, you know, health insurance for yourself. Um, so that's that question that that solves that one. <clears throat> Whether or not to get royalties depends on specifically what they're they're getting. So as far as their their published work, if their work gets collected in a trade, they will get royalties from that. Um, they'll get money for the trade, you know, being sold later on. If one issue that they did gets collected into like a bigger chat, you know, a bigger collection. That would also get royalties. Anytime their work is reprinted, they do get royalties. It's just not necessarily as much as doing the original work itself. So um, can I interject a little bit here? Um, the The base pay of any of the creative talent, except for an editor. Editors actually are full-time employees of the companies, yeah, and I think they do get health care. But writers and artists, colorists and inkers, those are the big ones, um, they are paid per page. Um, and how much they're paid per page depends on their seniority and how much they, they sell. So they have negotiating power if they're a top level artist. Um, the penciler gets paid the most, um, then the writer, uh, then I think inkers and colorists usually get paid about equal depending on their reputation. Um, if you are a creator or co-creator of a character, so not a new identity. So someone who I, so I believe that, um, Marv Wolfman and George Perez, who worked on Nightwing, I, I don't know if they get royalties for creating Nightwing because Dick Grayson already existed. But if you create like a new villain, um, so. Chuck Dixon and Bane is the best. Chuck example. Dixon and Bane's the big one, of course. But I mean, uh, Denny O'Neill and Talia Al Ghul and Raz Al Ghul. Um, a, a recent example would be like um, Tom King, Scott Snyder. Right, right. Well, like everyone, Scott Snyder created. Um, yeah. uh, Tom King created that uh, Mummy Master because he couldn't use Ting- King Tut. So if anyone ever uses Mummy Master again, Tom King would probably get a couple pennies. You mean Phantom um, Pharaoh? Phantom yeah, Phantom Pharaoh. Um, <laughs> a guy named Tom who loves mummies. <laughs> Um, so your flat page rate is usually counted against a, a sort of set goal. So what DC thinks, um, 
the comic needs to sell a certain number of issues until they've made back the money they paid you to draw that page. Once, if you have a good negotiator and a good agent, um, if your comic sells more than that, you usually get a bonus for the individual issues. And then you also get bonuses for, as Dustin said, the trades and merchandise if it's on a character you created or um, reprinting or, of course, digital sales. Um, of course, digital sales are not a huge part of income, but they are consistent because they're available forever, whereas in-print stuff goes out of print and you know the print run of an individual comic may not go much beyond what DC deems breaking even on the original page rate. Exactly. So a lot of times when it comes down to how much you get, and a lot of it has to do with your, your, your weight. Scott Steiner clearly gets a lot of money because he sells a lot. A lot of times the books that he's attached to sell well just because it's his name. Mm-hmm. Graham Morrison, the same kind of thing. Tom King is kind of in that way where he is becoming as big as Scott Snyder. I don't think he's necessarily there yet, but he has won Eisner's um, for his work, which also helped too and, and give him a higher rate in, the, in you know down the line too. I wouldn't say that... Uh, I don't know. The other part of it is, you, you know... Generally, I think that the writer and artist generally have like an even split. But in some cases, I feel like if the writer is a bigger name, they might be getting more. Now, there are exceptions to that because I know that Scott Snyder was a big deal. That's uh, I don't even remember. This was sometime during the New 52 where Snyder was like re-signing the contract or something. Capullo wasn't super adamant about re-signing an exclusive contract with DC. He wanted to go do another project. Or just do something else. And I distinctly remember Snyder talking about like the contract slash money or something. And he was saying that when he works with people, he wants the split to be even between him and the artist. Because it's it's fair that way or something. I, I can't remember exactly That's unusual because, as I said, I've looked at the, the base pay rates um, for pencilers, writers, and inkers, and colorists. And... I think because, and it makes sense, artists put more time per page than a writer does. Oh, yeah. Um, So artists usually get paid more. Now, if you're a monster seller like Scott Snyder, who basically sells the comic on his name alone, I could see that being an equal split. But I think that's very unusual. I think even like Tom King isn't getting paid per page as much as his artists are, even if he's, I mean, writers can work on more books. An artist can basically work on maybe a book a month. Um. A writer can work on, you know, as many as they can write. So it's usually between two and five books per month for most writers. Yeah. I mean, really, it just comes down to it's hard to say because it is one of those industries where you're not going to get a lot of people talking about how much money they make because that's not what they do. So all you can really go off of is how much stuff they actually have on the shelves. And it would be interesting to know because I have to say, you know, there are there's the select group of artists who make the jump over writer and i wonder there has to be a reason if there if it's just because they can make more because they can do more series i'd be interested in knowing that it's much less damaging on the body um well i meant yeah i definitely i could definitely understand that but i just feel like there has to be a reason why you you make the jump over and it cannot be just because well, I mean, I guess it could just be because it's easier to do, um, right? You know, it's easier to write stuff compared to, you know, 
I guess it's easier to write an issue compared to drawing an issue. Is what I meant. Are you saying but, jump like change from change from artist or or yeah, just yeah. to do both? Well, I mean, there there are who do, there are some who right. do both, but then there's some who they did do both, and then they decide that they're going to write. Hmm. Tony Daniels is a perfect example of that. Dan Jurgens. Um, I mean, there's a there's a bunch of different people who have made the jump. Lieber Mayho. Um, there, well, he, I mean, he's made the jump, but then he's gone back and forth too. So, Tim Seeley's another one. Yeah, it's Sean uh, Sean Murphy. He he he's doing both, but. I mean, the the thing is, there are there's there's got to be a reason why artists make the jump to being writers. Some of them are successful, some of them are not. Um, some of them are so successful that the only time they ever do any art is when it's a very you know it's a it's a variant cover or something like that, or you know, putting a piece into you know maybe the wedding anniversary issue or whatever. So. Yeah, I mean, great question, ACN. Uh, it's definitely one of those things where there's still some mystery. We might we we don't have all the answers. We a lot of what we know is based off of generalizations, but not precise information that we know for sure. Because, like I said, it's not something you're you know you hear a lot about. It's just it's it's the same thing as like you don't tend to hear a lot about how much uh, you know when you hear a movie cost a hundred million dollars to make. Where does all that money actually go? Why? What, what, where did you know? How much did the actors actually get out of that movie? How much did it go into the production? How much did it go into the marketing? You don't tend to hear about the breakdown. You just tend to hear about how much it does. And in this case, with the comics, we tend to hear about how much they sell, but we don't hear about where the money all goes. So there's that part of it too. So that is all of our questions. Before we move on. Uh, we do have a time for a couple of things. So I wanted to bring up this real quick discussion point. You want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Because uh, it, it's an interesting question that arose while I was reading something earlier. Okay, so there was a comment that somebody asked Jimmy Palmiotti about the story where it was during the New 52, during Villains Month, there's a Harley Quinn issue, and in the issue... She basically blew up a ton of kids using video games. At the time, it was kind of questionable. We were not a huge fan here at the site. We were not huge fans of that story either because it messed with basically any version of the character that ever existed. Harley Quinn has had situations where she could be murderous, but this is like next level psychotic serial murderer i mean like this is the worst of the worst there's no redemption from something like that you cannot kill kids using video game systems and then be happy go lucky walk in the streets and batman's okay with it it's just not possible we were not huge fans with this but anyway somebody specifically asked jimmy palmiotti about that story and he's and and he you know like whether or not it was still in continuity or how it fits in line with their story and he specifically answered, and I quote, Harley did in a book, that, and that's not part of her continuity, and a story rewritten by us and taken out. Um, so specifically, he's talking about the fact that they, as a writer, him and his wife, uh, Amanda Connor, decided that when they were writing Harley Quinn, they were not going to include that that single story as part of her continuity, and they decided to completely ignore it and, you know, just go on with whatever their story is but make sure that they don't 
reference or acknowledge that story is actually part of continuity. Now, I'm not opposed to that. I don't have an issue with it. I want to make this very clear. I don't like that story. I don't think that's what Harley Quinn... I don't think that was a good characterization of how Harley Quinn is. Um, So I want to make that very known. And I don't have a problem with Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti taking that story out of the continuity history of Harley Quinn. However, when I read that quote, I thought to myself, huh, this presents an interesting dilemma. As a writer or artist who is attached to a series, what gives you the ability to choose whether or not something from the character's past is within continuity currently or without of continuity? Meaning, if I was a writer of a series, say I was Scott Snyder and I was writing a series called Zero Year, and I just decided, hey, this character is no longer going to be included because it takes place, or I'm going to make sure that the Riddler is this different version. Why, why, what, what gives a writer the ability to change the history of a character? And I see this because obviously it's all about the history. I got to say that. For <laughs> yes, sure. yes. But. The biggest thing that I have an issue with is a writer is not on a book for a for forever. They're just not. And honestly, it feels like this has become a much bigger thing recently. You're seeing a lot of writers, especially since I would go back as far as 2011, the New 52. You're seeing a lot of writers take liberties with characters. And part of it was during the New 52, they were given the ability to take liberties with characters. But it seems even now during Rebirth, when we're supposed to get back to the more original variations of the characters or the, the, the most recognized versions of the characters in some regard, it seems like the writers are still picking and choosing what to include within continuity. And I, for one, have a massive problem with that. And I feel as if, even if a writer like Scott Snyder, who was on Batman for five years, Tom King, who will eventually be on Batman for about five years, when all this is said and done, they're leaving the book. They can't leave the book and have the next writer come on board and say, okay, so everything that just happened, I'm going to completely ignore and I'm going to tell something completely different. You can't keep doing that. And it feels like, and I and I say this hesitantly because I know that the Bat books are not nearly as bad as other groups of books. I was about to I say, if you fact. are saying this, you are not a Wonder Woman fan because yeah. every time a new writer comes on Wonder Woman, they throw out the book and write their own stuff, and Wonder Woman fans are sick of it. Yes, and and like I said, I I don't read a lot of other stuff that's not DC, that that's not Batman books, um, and in some cases. I don't read anything outside of what I typically, what we typically, you know, talk about during Greater Gotham. Um, and it, the only other occasions are occasionally if a character, if I if I see that the character is going to pop up in a book, I might pick it up and I read it just to see how the character is involved in the book. But generally speaking, I don't read a lot of that other stuff. But anyway, the point is, I know that, the, and I'm saying this, and I, it's like I'm going to preach to the choir here. As far as the Bat books go, they're probably the least affected of all of the books that DC has when it comes to continuity. I know that things have happened and been written and rebooted way more than the stuff that happens with the Bat books. But still, it presents a dilemma, regardless of whether it's specifically for the Bat books or not, which is, should a writer be given the opportunity to disregard things from the character's past? And that's, that's the thing. I'm not saying that... 
they they can't ignore it. There's a there's a difference between ignoring something and then saying it just didn't happen. You know, in the situation of the Palmiati, it would have been great if it, you know it was addressed. But it was like, oh, well, that entire issue is actually some sort of like horrific dream or something like that, because it it happened. It existed. It, you know, there's not a way you can just get rid of something. If there is something out there that is so bad or so that that hurts the character so much. It should have never been created in the first place. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. You know, somebody coming on board and saying, I'm going to pick and choose which, which areas of this character's existence I want to say still happen. I don't, I, I hate that. I absolutely despise it because it's, there's so, there's, some of these characters have such a rich history that there is no reason a writer who comes on board for even five years should have the ability to sit there and say, you know what? I don't want this to have happened before, so I'm going to retell this. I hate that. I absolutely despise it. So, thoughts on this idea of writers being able to pick and choose? Well, isn't, I mean, and I'm, you know, newbie, ignorant, but wasn't Killing Joke supposed to be completely out of continuity? And then they decided to use it, and that's how we got Oracle, isn't it? So in that case, someone, I don't know if it was a writer or whatever, but they chose to use something like that and and use it for good, <laughs> um, I guess. Well, the thing is, I think that the, I, I think initially Killing Joke was not necessarily meant to be part of Kanu. Right. I don't think it was. But it definitely was not an Elseworlds story. There was other graphic novels that were being published at the time that were, I mean, not exactly at that time, a little bit later, that were, you know, like Dark Knight Returns, for example, published around the same time, but it wasn't Elseworlds. Mm -hmm. But it's not within continuity either. I think it was just, here's a graphic novel, here's a story, let's tell a good story. And I think ultimately, they thought to themselves, well, Barbara Gordon being in a wheelchair and her being Oracle, which doesn't necessarily happen in Killing Joke, but happens because of the events mm -hmm. of Killing Joke, I think there was a reason to bring it in because they figured they could do something with the character. Um, but I mean, isn't that opinion, then how... Well, I guess that's adding to it rather than ignoring it, but... Well, it would uh. be more like... the, the, the A better example would be, and this is one that, that, that really upset me, and long-time listeners would know, remember that this really upset me, um, it would be like Batgirl, Barbara Gordon, being told she was never in the wheelchair. Mm. It completely ignoring it because they don't want it. Like, sure, she could have still been shot. She could have still been paralyzed. But her entire time as Oracle, as a character, no longer existed. Right. And at the beginning of the New 52, it's kind of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't, you know, eventually they, they went on to say that she was paralyzed and she was in a wheelchair and that, you know, she had some sort of magic surgery that all somehow was answered in, like, two panels on one issue, which I ranted about at length before. But it, it's like that. You right. know, that's a huge aspect of that character that you're just completely washing away because it serves your purpose. And I'm not saying that was Gail Simone's intent. It was probably more of an editorial's intent. But that has that speaks right there to the reason why... But uh, certain certain people in charge should not be in charge. But how do you know then that it's the writers necessarily picking and choosing 
and not the editors, or at least the editors agreeing to the change. And yes, and that yes, that 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 is the other issue of it. There's no way of knowing for sure. Um, obviously, you can deduce from certain interviews and things like that their intent of what they wanted and things like that. Um, sometimes you hear in interviews, like after a story gets put out, you hear writers say like, "Oh, well, editorial really wanted us to go with this direction." Like, honestly, this whole Rick Grayson thing is probably one of the things that editorial, maybe not directly the edit, editor on that book, but maybe someone higher up was like, hey, I'm looking at Dan DiDio here, but he's like, hey, <laughs> let's uh, let's screw with Dick Grayson because I hate the guy so much. Um, and That's that, exactly how the This is what they to. decided they'd do, and they said, we're going to actually do this. And the writer was like, well, that doesn't work with my story, and that could have been why... Percy left the book so abruptly instead of finishing off the last couple of issues he had solicited, or it could have just been a coincidence, and they brought on somebody who has been with DC for a long time who's going to toe the line and do what they want anyway. So, well, maybe um, that's the answer. Part of the answer to your question is is writers may not necessarily want to, but it's coming up from higher up. Oh, that's not PC enough, or oh, we can't go that direction because you know, quality not quality control, but but you know. Uh, what's that called? Anyway, you know, customers don't like it when we, you know, put girls in wheelchairs or whatever. Um, and that's and, and and honestly, there's that's it's entirely possible that that's that that could have been what they were told. Honestly, I, I chalk up a lot of the stuff that I disliked at the beginning of the New Fifty Two to not necessarily the writers, but the editorial. Because they were allowing the stuff to happen. Because it wasn't just like one or two things. There was a lot of things that had a lot of issues with. And you can't... I mean, like, it's one thing if editorial is being pitched ideas. And they're like, yeah, 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 that's fine. It's a whole other thing when editorial is being told from higher-ups. Like, the publishers Mm -hmm. being told, this is what we're doing. They're going to come to you with these crazy ideas. Just go with it. Because then it's not really editorial's fault either. It's really just, it comes down to like, this is the mandate from above. You got to do it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you don't have a job. And as a writer, if I was being told how to tell a story or what story to tell, I don't know that I'd want to be doing it. I I know that not every writer, every person would be like that. Honestly, like every time I see an interview with someone talking about how they were first offered work on on a Batman book or something like that, they were like, oh yeah, I got offered to work on a Batman book and I wasn't going to say no. I mean, it's Batman. You, you don't say no to Batman. And it's like, that's true. But if they're telling you to like write something that you wouldn't want your name to be put on, then why would you want to do it? And that's the thing. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I'm too much of a... I wouldn't say optimist. That's definitely not the word I'm looking for because I'm not an optimist in general. But I, I think that I, I I try to give more credit to certain aspects of things. But I feel like editorial is just... They're not doing as good of a job as they did before the New 52. And a lot of it stems from probably higher-up mandates. I think that there's a real question of how much you can realistically include when even if we discount the fact that Batman's been around for 80 years and the fact that Tom King's actually pulling and Grant Morrison Tom King and Grant Morrison both directly pull from pre-crisis 
issues, which means that in some form those things happened. Even if you just go from the crisis in 1986, that's... 32, 33-ish, 33 years of continuity you have to try and fit into a time frame. At this point, I think there are between 5 and 10 years, um, which is impossible. You cannot fit all those stories there. So there's always going to be a selective process in what happened and how it happened. Um, and I think... Sort of like my, my comments about how comic stories never end. You're always going to have a beginning and a middle, and you're never going to have an end. Well, your history is going to change, because you're going to have new writers, new perspectives, new crises, new uh, retcons, new world-shattering events. And I enjoy the game of trying to piece together what a certain writer's perspective is. Um, I'm... I enjoy the history, but more as a storytelling tool than as a as a thing in in its own right. Um, so I personally love the issue Bride or Big Burglar, where you have all those scenes that uh, I think Josh Bertoni wrote a really excellent article, just pointing out where all these scenes were from in the history. And I thought that was great. But because Tom King used it in a really emotional way, talking about how did Batman and Catwoman fall in love? What does these different costumes mean? How have their morals changed? If Bat, if Tom King had just been like, "Well, this is what happened," and sort of led to here, I would I wouldn't have cared, even if it was all perfectly in continuity. What matters to me about the history is, can the writers make it into a good story? Now, I don't like what Scott Snyder did with the history because I don't think it made a good story. Not because it's necessarily um, contradicting things, but because what we lost was greater than what we gained. Zero year is not better than year one. Year one's not perfect, but it's better than zero year. Um, so I think that a, a great artist who works on a shared universe will use the material to make excellent stories. And even if someone is a great artist, they may not always be a, a great fit for a shared universe. So Harley Quinn killing dozens and hundreds of children... It's definitely not a good story. <laughs> and this isn't that is a terrible story, story we want to hear. Yeah. But I still don't understand why someone would greenlight something like that if it wasn't something that is a. a like, because this the is the same people who greenlit Let's Rape Sue Dibney and Mind White People for Forgetting That. Yeah. Well. All right. Well, that was my discussion point. Now, we still have just a little bit more time, so guess what? Monkey watch time. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Monkey watch 2017! <laughs> All right, so this monkey watch time, uh, I, this is something that I, I saw a video on recently. They were talking about the most anticipated movies of 2019, now, this has nothing to do with necessarily Batman. You're not obligated to say the Joker because that's the only Batman-related film that's coming out this year. But specifically dealing with movies that are releasing in theaters, what movie are you most looking forward to over the course of this year? Oh. And I guess you could cheat a little and say a couple if you can't pick one. Mm, I'm looking at the list right now. Um, 
It's Lion funny. I was King. actually talking with my friend at church today about this. Yeah. Lion King, because that CG Simba is so cute. I actually was talking about him the other day. I was like, oh, he's so cute. You know, stuff happens and he gets older, but, you know, whatever. Um, oh, Detective Pikachu. It's the movie I never know I needed, and and yet here I am. I need I need Ryan Reynolds's Detective Pikachu. <laughs> Uh, Shazam. I'm looking forward to Shazam because we need a lighthearted DC movie. We need. I need evidence that DC knows how to how to write comedy movies. <laughs> Wait, did you not see Aquaman? I haven't seen that yet. That's on my to watch list. Oh, oh man, you man. have to. It's so is good. It, is it dead? It's <laughs> so good. But that was last year. Or, yeah, last year. That's right, 2019. And uh, oh, Spider Man, because I love Tom Holland. And then probably Star Wars. I'm not as jaded about Star Wars as other people seem to have become. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Star Wars. That's probably it. So I'm going to cheat and take two. Um, Shazam is the first one. Because um, I have loved Zach Levi as an actor since Chuck. I think he's a very fun actor. I loved him in Tangled. His singing voice is amazing. <laughs> and the movie just looks fun. It, it looks... Does. It looks enjoyable and adventurous, and I just really hope that it, it produces a, a good feeling when you come out of the theater. Uh, the second movie is, I'm a literature nerd, as people know. Uh, there's an adaptation of Little Women that's coming out, and I'm a big fan of Little Women. So I am, and I actually got my brother and sister hooked on the book last year. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to taking them to that movie at the end of this year. All right, so if I was going, this is going to be uh, some weird stuff here. But, um, so my top pick is going to be Toy Story 4 because <laughs> I am a massive Toy Story fan. Um, by far, my favorite Pixar and Disney movies of all time are Toy Story. Um, although I'd pick Toy Story 2 out of the three so far. But I think Toy Story 4, I, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that more than pretty much anything else um but another movie that i'm really looking forward to is it chapter two no and the reason why is because i honestly i hate horror movies i think they're stupid i think they're dumb and most of the time they're just not very good and i saw it the first one two years ago because somebody suggested it and was like oh no if you don't like horror movies check it out anyway it's really good and I watched it and I was like, wow, that was actually really good. I didn't really, like, it had its horror elements, but there wasn't, like, the cheesiness of so many horror movies. And I know that there's a lot of horror movies now that are, that, you know, they get released that aren't cheesy like they used to be. But, like, when I, was a, when I was a kid and I was in high school, watching horror movies, it was just like a joke. Like, they were so cheesy and so bad. It was just like, what's the point of watching this? Like, I just feel like I'm wasting my time. Just I guess the only people who watch that, like I literally told myself that the only people who watch these are people who just want to see people get shredded up and bloodied and whatever. Um, but yeah, so those two. But then I would also say Shazam is up there on my list too because I think Shazam is going to be a lot of fun. But yeah, those are the ones I'm super looking forward to. I'm so afraid of clowns. McDonald's commercials scare me. <laughs> I don't like it at all. I just don't watch any horror movies. I don't enjoy being afraid. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right, so that's Monkey Watch, and look at that, we still are well under our time. So, with that being <laughs> oh, said... Oh man, we're going to beat Stella in short episodes. <laughs> so with that being said, uh, that is everything for this episode. I want to encourage you to head over to the website to check out all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer. As you're listening to this, there is a new episode of Robin Everyone Loves Drake, there's a new episode of Back on the Oracle. There's a new episode of Bat Fans. We also have a brand new podcast that's coming. I will tell you exactly what it is now because we finalized a lot more things. It'll be coming around the corner. It's actually called Batman Books, A Dark Night in Prose. And it's a look at specifically novels that are not featuring any sort of art. Um, and the novelizations of like the movies, novelizations of different comic stories and original novelizations or not novelizations but original novels telling stories about batman and eventually uh the host lane is going to dive into uh potentially other characters outside of specifically batman but for a while she's going to stick with the stories related specifically to batman so that will be debuting on tbu very shortly in the near future um, that show will be releasing opposite uh, Bat fans on Thursdays, so that's how you can be on the lookout for that. Um, in addition to that, you can check out the site for all the latest stuff that we have to offer. There's tons of stuff, always tons of stuff, and we're trying to make sure we report even more merchandise news so you can keep up with that stuff and all that, and obviously support us on Patreon, support us uh, any way you can if you have any skills. If you have, uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all these news and videos from the Batman universe. And you can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And that's really about it. So, with that being said, this is Dustin. This is Steph. This is Ian. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. <laughs>